Hello, and welcome back to the Leverage and Beverage podcast. I'm your host, Greg Sobosinski. And today we're having another conversation diving into the world of beverages and leverage and how businesses, small local businesses, uh, learn to create leverage in their businesses. So um, today we have a special guest, um, Sean Bell. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> good, good. <laughs> Sean Bell is, um, he works at Multi Housing Depot. And Sean, uh, I know you've been there for a while, but give us an overview of, of what that business is and, and what is your, your role there? <clears throat> well, uh, the business has definitely evolved over time. Uh, I've been there about six years, um, but the company is, yeah, we're in our 128th year now, uh, family business, and uh, I'm fifth generation. But like I said, it's kind of evolved over that time period where in the beginning, we were just um, uh, like a warehouse and trucking in Philadelphia, kind of for local businesses within the Philadelphia area. Um, in the 60s, our uh, customer base kind of expanded. Uh, we were still primarily just trucking, um, but we were ex- kind of expanded our customer base and our footprint. Um, and one of the companies that we were hauling for predominantly was GE, General Electric, hmm. um, mainly for their appliances. Uh, so they actually approached us about becoming a distributor. Um, so that we kind of expanded into that kind of almost exclusively with them from a distributor standpoint. Uh, but then shortly after they decided to, <laughs> to start selling all of our customers direct. Oh, so yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's, happens. Yeah. Corporate way, business. Wait, 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 cut your leverage, huh? <laughs> In a big way. Yeah. So they, uh, yeah. Corporate business sticking it to you. Um, it seems like that's happened a lot nowadays. You know what I mean? You have like direct to consumer businesses all over. Well, absolutely. And it, I mean, it's, there are certain businesses that try it. Some succeed at it. Some it's always been a part of their model. Like GE is kind of, uh, you know, even to this day, they do a lot of direct business. Hmm. Uh, but there are some companies that just don't find that it's worth it or it just costs too much. Uh, but, but they're one of them that, that do, and they kind of came in, you know, undercut us a little bit. So it, it was, it was really hard to work with them. Uh, they were, it's kind of like, you're going to do it our way or no way. Hmm. So, uh, when my dad came in, he's fourth generation. Uh, he kind of thought, well, we, we have to be able to do something else. We have to be able to bring something else to our customer base. So at this time, our customer base is predominantly apartments. So, um, like multifamily, multifamily units. Yeah. Multifamily units. So, uh, on the management side, so there's, you know, multifamily is kind of a, you know, there's, there's a lot going on in multifamily, but at this time we were predominantly working with management companies. So companies who actually, you know, own the property and they're managing the site. So they're, uh, doing all the leasing, the maintenance. Um, so that was our, our primary customer. Um, so we decided, Hey, we, we got to diversify somehow. And with absolutely no experience whatsoever, my dad decided that manufacturing cabinets was, was going to be the thing. Mm. That's, that's generally where I go first. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Whenever I'm in a pinch. <laughs> it's better to manufacture some cabinets. <laughs> right. Now, he, you know, he's always had a passion for, for making things, you know, just using his hands. But 
he had absolutely no experience in manufacturing. And it was one of those things that it was just kind of a, a synergy. It's how do we, how do we add to what we currently do? How can we service our customer base better um, with something that kind of blends really well together with what we're already doing. So we were already selling appliances and appliances go in a kitchen. Well, what else can go in a kitchen? How can we deliver a more complete product? Right. And so that's what you mean as far as the appliance part, that was where the the GE connection is, right? You were the the trucking side for GE. And then, and then like, and then I said, we kind of shifted, sorry if I kind of cut through that quickly, but we kind of shifted into more of a distributor. So less into the trucking side and then kind of solely into distribution. So like I said, the business has evolved quite a bit where solely trucking to then distributing a, a very specific product. And how is current day, mm-hmm. what does that look like from the trucking side? Is it is the appliance portion still um, a big part of the business? Is it kind of gone by the wayside or wh- how would you? Uh, it's, it's still a, a very substantial part of our business. Mm-hmm. Um, but with, you know, with that pressure that, that we had to diversify, it was also diversify our product offering. Mm-hmm. So at the time of becoming a distributor, you know, GE only wanted us or wanted us to strictly distribute GE product. Mm-hmm. So it really definitely, it definitely pigeonholed us, you know, especially from like a price point you know, not being able to compete with other products, but, you know, we kind of went out on a limb and brought on other vendors as well. And a lot of this is going on at the same time. So we're bringing on, um, you know, other vendors like Whirlpool, Frigidaire, uh, now Samsung, but that's kind of within recent history, but um, just to diversify the product line. But, you know, this is like, we're becoming a distributor. We're fighting against a, a really big corporation trying to stay alive adding other brands or at least trying to kind of behind their back and then, and also working in uh, manufacturing. So it was, you know, we kind of went all in on the, the multifamily service industry. Hmm. Yeah. It seems like it's a big uh, industry now, especially with the, the way that the housing market is as of recent um, some of the demand, even for like local apartments near, near where I am, I mean, it's gone up like 30, 40% as far as just, just rent. So I imagine there's definitely demand there for some of the, the multifamily units these days. Well, it's wild. And um, I definitely think everybody, not everybody, but there's a lot of people trying to get a piece of that pie hmm. as well. You know, there's immense growth. Uh, just go into any, any highly concentrated area specifically like urban areas and you just see cranes all over the place building these really large complexes that are heavily focused on you know like location and curb appeal and some of those amenities trying to get you know get tenants but it it is a booming industry right now so where where would you say is um talking about competition how would you describe the competition in your field so you work with people who have these units, these mm-hmm. multifamily units, and you do both the appliance side as well as um, the outfitting of cabinetry and, and whatnot for these units. Mm-hmm. How would you describe the, the competition? So yes, there's a lot of building going on as mm-hmm. far as the multifamily. So it means that there's opportunity there. Yeah. But what does it mean as far as the competition? Like yourself in the area where you operate, mm-hmm. how fierce is it? Well, 
it's pretty fierce, but it's also very complex because of all the different things that we do. Um, you know, just kind of touching back on, you know, that the evolution of the business, you know, kind of when we started manufacturing, um, we were doing kind of a whole lot of different things. We were doing a lot of store fixtures. So it wasn't just, you know, kitchens, but we kind of honed in on kitchens because we figured, you know, this is what we're good at. And, you know, store fixtures is kind of a whole other ball of wax. Um, but, you know, as we've grown and developed and uh, kind of evolved over the years, you know, we, we face competition kind of in many different ways. So uh, one of our primary uh, parts of our business, like I said, is dealing with the management companies. So what that entails is typically you have a tenant, they move out, we get a phone call, say, hey, you know, they trashed the kitchen. Uh, I have to replace the kitchen so that I can turn this unit for another tenant. Mm. Or maybe a management company is in the process of renovating their, their units. Um, maybe they have a new like design scheme. Maybe the site's old, outdated. They're trying to bring it up to speed. So as tenants move out, they call up and say, hey, you know, I have to replace the kitchen. So there's that side of our business. Uh, and in that regard, we, we compete against like a lot of the Goliaths. So Home Depot, Lowe's, um, and in some cases, like from an appliance standpoint, GE Direct, uh, PC Richards. I mean, a lot of big names that you hear, you know, so, on, on a regular basis. So in that, in that arena, we're, we're competing against some, some pretty large companies. So there is, yeah, like you said, there seems to be a huge number of big gorillas in the room. Yeah. How about some of the small, smaller, not small, but like, you know, mid-size, mid-size players, um, like other family owned businesses that operate in the space are, are would you say they're, they're direct competition? Like as far as the installation part is are you guys taking, doing that part too, or is that something different? There's a whole other installation team or is that where you guys play as well? Well, we deal mostly with subcontractors in that in that arena, it's not something that we kind of have in-house, um, at least not not yet. But uh, predominantly from a a subcontractor subcontractor standpoint. But um, as far as you know, smaller companies with what we do specifically, there are aren't really any hmm. that I know of that, at least in our region, that we're dealing with. Um, you know, like I said. It, we kind of we kind of play against different competitors in different arenas. Uh, so, like a new construction, for example, um, we're dealing with some really big cabinet companies, uh, and you know a lot of imports. So, on the new construction side, it's like a whole other animal. You know, we're not we're not competing against the same people that we compete against. You know, kind of on a unit turn uh, basis, but. Um, it's just, it's, it's complex. It's just very complex. You know, there's as, like a company our size. I don't know of any others, especially in our area. Right. And it seems like a lot of the companies that might be comparable in size won't have as wide of an offering. So right. it's like you have the appliance side, you mm -hmm. have the installation side on some of the other hardware. Right. Um, it seems like they're, they tend to just focus on one thing and run with it, right. but there's risk there. You know what I mean? If, if something goes wrong, I mean, 
I, I need to make sure that at least the bottom line is being that like, customers are being paid. Right. And um, I mean, uh, employees are being paid. So do you think that's an advantage? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, cause there are definitely a lot of companies that we know that we're familiar with that, you know, are, are similar in that, you know, it's a family business or um, just a smaller business and, and they do a lot of, you know, millwork, casework, you know, cabinetry type related products. Um, but they're not, they're not really a competitor of ours. It's more of, uh, it's more of like a friend in the industry, someone that you can lean on to learn from, mm. uh, someone that, that can assist you in, in times of crisis, or you can assist them in times of crisis, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think we're, I think we're pretty unique, um, in what we do and what we offer kind of as, as a whole. Um, I, I would say we, we align kind of more with the, the Lowe's kind of Home Depot type model. Cause you know, that they kind of have, they kind of encompass all of those products or at least they try to, and that's what we're trying to get to, but just hone in more on a, you know, a service and, um, yeah, kind of the, the service end of things. Yeah, I, I think that's huge. I think there's definitely a, a gap in some of those um, companies, Lowe's, Home Depot, as far as the service side of things. Like, okay, mm-hmm. yes, I okay, I, I like your cabinets, but who do I talk to about this? It seems like if I even do get a hold of somebody there, I'm just going to be passed around to somebody else. I don't have someone to talk to about my particular thing. I, I think that's right. big. I think especially now, mm-hmm. you know, people are going more digital, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's also nice to know the other person on the other line and who you're talking to and I know that they'll help me in this situation. You know what I mean? I don't want to feel like I'm a shot in the dark when I call to a company and ask for Mm -hmm. an update on what's happening with this project I'm working on. So where do you guys venture as as far as the um, service side or what what sets you apart in that regard in comparison to some of those uh, Goliaths in the the industry? Well, I think being... a a certain sized company, you have more mobility and agility than some of the larger companies. It's easier to adjust. It's easier to, um, I, I don't know. It's easier. Like we're just, it, it seems like it's easier for us to be flexible. And also because we're manufacturing, we kind of have a, a flexible mindset. Hmm. Um, you know, we're not relying necessarily on a finished product from someone else to be able to sell to to our customer. It's something that we're making. Um, so I definitely think that sets us apart. Uh, the other thing is just kind of how, how we've always operated. I think we're said it, I guess, a number of times now is just being a family company, kind of being family minded and, and, uh, focused on the customer realizing know, just how important they are. Not, and that's not to say that like a Lowe's or Home Depot doesn't value, value their customers. I think that'd be preposterous to propose, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, I think sometimes, it, you know, I think it, I almost think of it as like the Roman empire when they got to a certain point, it was like, how do you control those? How do you control your borders at, at a mm. certain size? It's just, it becomes very challenging. You just, you know, you think that a big company would have, you know, all this leverage in some cases they do, but in other cases they may not, you know, it's just harder to corral, you know? Right, right, right. So let's maybe pivot to that right there, that advantage of being the size that you are. 
I think sometimes there's a lot of emphasis on growing for the state for the sake of growth. Yeah. It's like, let's just keep growing. And that's like the yeah. goal of business is to keep growing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe that works, maybe it doesn't work, but like, I think that there's often in the business space too much emphasis put on that. Yeah. Like if I grow and my business grows more, but now I have no time for X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. it, I don't know if that's always a positive play. And just because I'm bigger, doesn't mean that my margin is necessarily better. Right. So it's like, I could operate in the space where I'm, I'm comfortable. Mm -hmm. I have a, a, a good balance between the stuff I'm doing in work and, and outside of work. And my margin could actually be better than if I just continue to grow. Right. So just talk about that for a second, if you could, because I think people sometimes associate just growth, pure growth with more money. And, yeah. and to a degree that could be true, but mm -hmm. at the same time, there's also with growth comes a lot of other things. Absolutely. Um, so I think there is often, okay, we're, we're doing pretty well. <laughs> I think sometimes people don't stop to realize, okay, yeah, we're, we're doing well. We're doing just fine. The business is moving along. Steady growth mm -hmm. is probably better than exponential for some of these businesses, but right. just talk to that as far as um, proper growth and just putting the size of the business in perspective. Yeah. I think growth for the sake of growth is just kind of foolish. Um, it, it, to me, it's more about why, you know, like why grow. And for us, you know, one of the kind of unspoken principles that, you know, has kind of carried down through my family in, in our business is humble growth you know, modest growth. And because you want to grow, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a business and you, you kind of have to continue on the, you know, a, uh, you know, continue moving forward. I think staying stagnant isn't good either. You know, you want to be able to provide, you know, success for your family, success for your employees and, um, you know, a, a vision forward for a lot of the people working for you. So there is value in growth, but growth for the sake of growth or getting kind of, um, you know, kind of getting captivated by, you know, the big numbers, you know, at the bottom line or trying to achieve, you know, the highest stock price or whatever it is. And I think it's silly just because it doesn't really answer why it just provides you this really shallow reason of, I just want more money. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it, to me, it's just, it isn't worth it. Like I'd rather have modest growth each and every year knowing that, okay, modest growth means I'm succeeding. Something's right because I'm going in the right direction. Um, and, and it's also, it's maintainable, right? It's not, I'm not getting out too far ahead of myself. We're not getting, you know, we're not spreading ourselves too thin. We're doing what we can manage, what we know we can manage effectively. Um, and, and that, just being in that mindset of modest growth, you know, not getting the green eyes of, of trying to, I don't know, because I think when you have that mindset of just growth, just big number growth, it, to me, I, my mind immediately goes to by any means necessary, hmm. right? And, and that could mean a whole lot of things and, and a lot of bad things. Right. And it seems like when we equate growth, we always equate that with, with better Right. I'm growing and this has to be better, but at the same time, you think there's going to be some advantage and granted, there are some advantages to that, but the same time, there's also advantage like we talked about with being a little bit 
more midsize mm-hmm. and more agile. You're able to adjust. Like if, if you had been early on with, um, with GE and the trucking stuff, mm-hmm. if you had been so big, right. it could have been hard to turn the ship, so to speak. Right. But if you were in that midsize market right now, okay, we see that this is, we're kind of being pushed out mm-hmm. by this behemoth, but you know, now we have the capability to turn the ship quickly, if you will, mm-hmm. be agile in the business and move to something else. And I see that so much. I see so many people, they start their business as one thing mm-hmm. and you're kind of trying things out, feeling it out. And then all of a sudden something comes out of nowhere. And you're like, whoa, this could be something. It's like mining for gold. It's like, right. oh, here's a nice little you know, plot of ore. Let's, let's start digging over here. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I think there's, there's huge advantage in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I think that that's good for small mid-size family run businesses. Um, and if, if you could maybe talk about the family aspect. So mm-hmm. unlike somebody who's working for a company like Lowe's or Home Depot, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. there's a different dynamic working for a family run business. Um, I've worked with my father in business. Yeah. You work with your father in business. Mm-hmm. We both know there's pros and cons to that. Absolutely. Um, but I think it's something you, you, you learn and you kind of, um, your relationship, which is super familial mm-hmm. initially, because yeah. that's all you've known. Oh yeah. You develop a different kind of like professionalism about it mm-hmm. where things that might bother you because like, wow, that's my dad. It's like, well, right. well, no, well, yeah, it is, but yeah. he's, he's not, you know, he's not wrong here. He's just yeah. talking business. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So talk about the family aspect and how mm-hmm. that's an advantage or how it can be an advantage or maybe how it's specifically been an advantage for, for you guys through all five generations. Well, for us, at least right now, it, it helps. It's helped us give, it, it's kind of helped provide us a reason why, you know? So it's like, that's such a big question you know, that needs to be answered. Why are you in business? Why do you do what you do? And for us, it, it, it's kind of given us a reason why it's, we, we love what we do. We love creating really awesome spaces for people to live. You know, we want to be a reliable source for our customers so that when someone walks into their, their, their home, you know, they feel at home and they feel like, um, it's a desirable place to want to be, you know, and that, and that excites all of us you know, and, and that why really helps, you know, this going, but also the, the fact that we are a family business, that it has gone on this long, because, you know, statistically speaking, family businesses usually fail in the third generation. Mm-hmm. So when we're in the fifth, it's like, ah, oh, this is really, we cool. made it, we made it. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, it's just, it's just really cool. It's like, hey, you know, it, we, we've had this in our family for 128 years. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's a third generation? What do you think? What do you think is significant well, about that? It's so I may be wrong, but from, from what I remember, typically it's the, obviously the first generation is what gets it going. Once we started, that's where the idea comes from, you know, cause they're the ones initiating the business. Uh, the second generation usually grows the business, you know, has kind of carries over that passion and, typically is more successful than the first generation because uh, they've seen, you know, what it took, you know, the hard work that was put in um, and they've kind of carried that over. And, and typically there's more success in the second generation. Uh, the third generation is usually spoiled, mm. you know, just to be frank, you know, they, they experience more of the success of the second generation 
and they kind of come into it and typically just kind of suck it for all it's worth, you know? Yeah. And you mentioned that it's kind of true with generational wealth too. It seems that, you know, the the first generation builds it. Second generation sees what happened and continue to grow it. Right. By the third generation, they become so complacent that they kind of, they, they, they fully utilize it to the point where there's no, they've never had to think forward. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It's always the, the basic things are here. Right. And so there's no thought process as in what's next, right? What am I, what do I have to create next so that the next generation? So, I mean, you know, kudos to your, to your grandfather, I guess, on, on, yeah. you know, curbing that storm and really pushing through that. Well, cause I mean, there've been a lot of hard times obviously throughout the, the course of the business. So it, it wasn't like my dad grew up ultra wealthy or anything. And, it, yeah. and like I said, it kind of points back to that modest growth mentality. You're just hammering that point home you know, the never be complacent and always strive for that modest growth. And, and that's where I think you kind of, you kind of build that modesty um, and that, that self-control into your head and in, into each generation's head of this is, this is how we're going to run the business, you know, and, and trying to pass that on, you know, to the next generation. I think my family, at least in that regard, has done a pretty good job. You know, some, some other ways that, you know, working with our, you know, a family is, uh, has been really beneficial, or at least I see it as an advantage is, um, just that we, we all think we have a really great relationship, especially the generation now. So me, uh, my two brothers, my dad, um, get along really well and we all have different strengths, which is enormous benefit. Mm -hmm. We all have different strengths and, and we know it and we're trying to leverage each one of our, our strengths. So we're not trying to pigeonhole each person into a different or into a specific role, um, but utilizing each of our strengths and understanding them, I think is, is hugely important. Um, having an understanding of what everyone is going to do and be responsible for um, and, and it sounds silly. It's just, you know, cause my, my dad didn't necessarily have the same type of experience, at least with a, you know, a strong family bond. Hmm. Um, but you know, we're kind of all on the same page as to how things will work. It may sound silly, but things like, you know, job titles, who's, who's, who's going to be, <laughs> you know, who's, who's going to be the big cheese, so to speak, you know, at, right. at, at, and at what point and uh, what role is everybody going to play? You know, cause a lot of times ego gets involved and because it's family, then it kind of ignites. And then that's when things get really personal and really ugly. And that kind of has happened in the past for us. Um, but I think we're in a really good place and we all understand where each one of us is going to fall. And that, that is an enormous benefit. Um, Cause it's not, it's not, uh, it's not a point of contention for us. Um, it is, it is definitely strange. I mean, I love working with my family. I love seeing my dad, my brothers every single day and working towards a common goal with them. I mean, that's, that, that's one of the reasons why even through all, any of the difficult times or stressful times, it's one of the things that, you know, kind of picks me up and helps me to keep going with it. Cause it, it just, it really motivates me to be working on something that I think is meaningful with the most, some of the most meaningful people in my life. So, um, 
it's just, it's really cool to do that every day. And I mean, I think it, it seems like that has to lend to some type of strategic advantage. So when you're working together, you're playing off each other's strengths. You mm-hmm. probably know each other a little more innately than two other random coworkers at a business. You right. know what I mean? It's gotta, it's gotta be some advantage. I don't know how tangible it is or how to put it into words, what that benefit really is, right. but there's gotta be something there. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, I don't know, it's, it's the whole idea of building something together with family mm-hmm. where, Hey, we're building this and we're all going to eat. We're all going to benefit yep. from this. Um, it does get tricky though. I mean, you see Absolutely. it all the time, even on like the, the wealth side, wealth planning, there, a lot of contention comes in where people have a, a notion of what they expect it to happen. Mm-hmm. But as we know, a lot of things in these situations don't happen as we always expected or something happens or you realize someone's really good at this or someone's good at that. And that's probably how it should play out. But I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be screwed. But at the same yeah. time, how could they screw me? It's my family. You know what I, you know what I mean? So it's a lot, a lot of emotion, a lot of emotion goes into it. There, There is a ton of emotion. And I've had some moments where I've had to like slap myself because I just, you know, being in a room and, you know, being beat red, screaming at my father and, you know, he's screaming at me and just being like, what the hell is going on? What is going on right now? Right. But, but that passion and, you know, realizing that it's your father, because, you know, it's kind of a benefit, but it's a slippery slope you know, that I have that, the ability and the, that relationship with, you know, the, the owner of the company that I can go into his office and start, you know, I, I could start yelling at him and he's not going to fire me. I mean, right. there's, there's strength, there's strength in that. All right. I mean, obviously if I'm doing something, you know, catastrophic or detrimental to the company, of <laughs> course, but you know, so, some people might like the things that I've said and the conversations we've had together, you wouldn't have with a normal boss. It's just, mm. you know, so there's, there's definitely a, you know, a benefit there, but it's definitely weird. And it's one of those things that uh, it's kind of in the back of your head that makes you afraid. It's like, I don't ever want something to, to, um, you know, to, to, to come up that, that, drives a stake, but in the relationship where it's, it's trying to maintain, you know, cause you have to be able to express yourself, especially cause there's that element of family. Like it is different. You have to be able to express yourself differently, but you also have to maintain that strong family relationship. So it's knowing that, Hey, this is, this isn't personal. And it's really hard to do that sometimes. Like I said, you know, I can remember probably early on it happened more than it does now for sure. Right. Um, I mean, as far as, as far as the, the transition from, wow, yeah. this is very personal to, I know it's not that personal. Yeah. And, and it's definitely gotten less personal because as I've worked with my dad and my brothers longer, I kind of know how they tick a little bit more. Yeah. So <laughs> you start to learn, okay, you know, he's just in a bad mood today. So I'm going to have to you know, just going to have to be careful of what I say or, or how I approach things, whatever. So I've definitely learned kind of how he ticks, especially my dad, because he's the one who kind of obviously is driving the ship right now. Um, so working with him, I've kind of learned how he approaches things. A lot of times how he, 
broaches the subject and, and I learn, okay, you know, he's just frazzled, you know, nothing to take personally here. Um, but, you know, it, it is important to understand those things, the idiosyncrasies, but then it's also important to not be afraid to express yourself, hmm. but in as respectful manner as you can, realizing that it is family. But uh, I, th I think the key component for us is that we have a relationship outside of work. And that's, you know, my dad, my brothers, you know, we all share different hobbies together. We all spend time together. We enjoy hanging out together. I would say wholeheartedly that my best friends are my two brothers. Um, and, you know, it, that definitely helps because even if you're pissed off at each other at work, you know, you go, you know, you take a step back from it and kind of get away from it. You still have things that you share together that you can kind of get away from kind of the stress of work. But. Right. Um, yeah. So when I, when I first start, started doing this, the, one of the questions that was always in the back of my mind is, you know, people seem to be really gravitated towards businesses and starting businesses. Mm -hmm. They want to start something. They want to do something at the right. end of the day, when you get into business, there's a lot of problems. I mean, that's basically what business is. It's solving problems all the time. Right. So it's like you get into the business for solving a particular problem, such as your situation. Okay, this stuff has to be moved from here to here. We're in the transportation trucking business to get mm -hmm. stuff from point A to point B. Now mm -hmm. things adjust. There's more problems because GE won't let us do our job. And now right. we have to go find some other problem to solve. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, very, it's very crazy. But at the end of the day, I think people are, wired to as much as it's a struggle sometimes we're kind of wired to want to solve problems and because, then because i think it provides sorry i mean to cut you off but no, go. I, th I think it provides purpose i mean hmm. if you're solving a problem you're you're creating value for someone typically i mean in, in a business your whole the whole premise of your business is to solve a problem so hmm. in our case you know we have customers that need kitchens they need kitchens because if they don't have one someone can't live in the apartment so our whole business is you know most of it is revolving around solving that problem for the customer giving their tenants a place to live with you know uh, nice functional spaces right and it gives like it gives you purpose like if you're not solving problems you're not challenging yourself mm. right if you're not challenging yourself you know what do you have a whole where, lot of meaning? Where, where's the fulfillment? Right. Yeah. There's no fulfillment of any kind. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it, folks. <laughs> so, no, it, it's true, though, because um, oftentimes what we'll see is you know, people who do very well. Right. They even find they're like, okay, well, I, I could retire now. I could stop working. And they're in their early 40s. And they're like, okay, I think I'm going to stop. And then they stop. But then inevitably, six months to a year later, they're back at work. Right. And it's like, why? So you don't have to be. Either they haven't found something else that they want to focus on, whether that's not a, a, a real business problem, but it's more like a um, hobby pursuit or something that they can still focus and give them fulfillment. Mm -hmm. But it seems like even when they're problem free, right. they go back to <laughs> finding more problems to solve. Right. Um, I don't know. I think I've always found that interesting. And so, and then even once you're in a business, so for you guys, it's like, yes, we're in the, in the business to solve X problem. But even as we're doing that, other problems start popping up as far as whether it's supply chain issues, whether it's um, uh, emotional problems within the business, whether something's going on with one of my employees and I need to help them and drop everything I'm doing to help them. So other things happen. So maybe talk about 
you know, you have your, your main problem that you're solving as a business, mm-hmm. but just take a peek behind the curtain onto some other ancillary problems that come up, arise to the surface in just the day-to-day of running a business, whether that's employee-related problems, whether that's marketing problems, whether that's just how do I not only keep the ship going in the right direction, but how do I keep the ship from falling apart? How much time do you have? Right. (laughs) Well, I I set aside five hours, so it should be fine. I mean, I mean, sometimes it's hard to pinpoint everything, but. And and I guess if you, if you just want to narrow in on one, like what, if you could say one of what's the biggest problem aside from your, the, the problem that drives the vision of the business. Right. Um, for us right now, I, I would say it's structure. Hmm. Um, and some of the some of the challenges that come with a f- you know what I've described as a more flexible business, so to speak, is that oftentimes it lacks structure. So there's I think there's a happy medium between your, you know your giant corporation where somebody sits in a cubicle and may just feel like a number. And then there's, you have on the other end, a very small, smaller businesses where you have fewer people that do a whole lot of different job tasks, right? And they're, they're kind of, um, they're kind of really good at a bunch of different things or they do whatever they can to help the business, right? There's not, and, and there has to be some sort of middle where it's not this ultra rigid hierarchical structure, but it's also not this loosely based, nobody really knows what anyone does kind of thing. And, <laughs> and we're kind of in the middle right now and not in that we've figured it out, but that we're trying to figure it out. And it's quite painful because, you know, my, some of my dad's strengths are he's extremely, he's extremely intelligent. He really is. And he learns things very quickly and he, um, he has just a, a, an amazing ability to just figure something out and get it done. You talk about problem solver. He is the epitome of problem solver to me, at least. Um, and that's, that's a hugely beneficial thing to have someone so gifted, but it's also really challenging when that person doesn't know how to bring other people up and, and hold them accountable, so to speak, to, to be kind of the same type of person and not everybody obviously shares the same uh capabilities but he's he's operated under the uh he's just kind of operated as oh no one's doing it so i'll just do it myself speak of the devil yes there he is well well i'll have to get back to him um but yeah, he's maybe he's calling asking for your help. He's, <laughs> he's finally doing it. Yeah. I mean, he, he's trying to get better at it. And, you know, we're going through some processes right now and going through some different things right now to try to help that. And that's why I say we're in that painful period of transition. Um, but for so long, it was just he had to do it. He, it's like, I have to figure this out. I have to do this, you know. But as far as far as some of the, the modest growth that we spoke yeah. about before. Yeah. You can't infinitely scale his ability to problem solve. So you have to, it has to be 
delegated to some degree right. in order to, for that to have like that sustainable growth. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's, we, we, we always have the conversation of dad, dad, what happens if you get hit by a bus, you know, God forbid. And, and we're not in a good place if that happens, because, you know, he did learn the manuf like he brought in manufacturing to our business. And when I say he brought in manufacturing, he knew nothing about it. He went out and learned what machines he had to buy. And that's not an easy task. Like if you have no experience, you know, he, he figured out, okay, who do, who do I need to reach out to? What, what machines do I need? Um, he learned how to operate all the machines and run the machines. And he did operate the machines and run the machines and, you know, building relationships with vendors to get materials and, and supplies um, and then developing, okay, how, how do I, how do I make this? And how do I get it into our, our like accounting system? How do I account for it? like all the whole part, like the whole puzzle, right? Some, sometimes you have people who are really good at one thing, right? Like they just know how to make cabinets. We have some of those people that they can build cabinets and, and they're astonishingly good at it or they can fly through it. Mm -hmm. Right. But he, he not only can do that, but he knows the whole process of the, the, the point of, you know, how the raw material gets made, right. The, the stuff that we're using, how it gets made to, you know, how does it, how does it get into our, our system how do we account for it and, and all and everything in between? So it's a wealth of knowledge in one person's head. And, and during my time, I've learned a lot, but I've fulfilled a role out of necessity where he was doing whatever it took to essentially at the time stay alive. Um, so I've, based on the, the, the period that we're in, it's, it's, much more stable than when he was there. So he had to do it out of necessity. For me, I'm filling a role out of necessity and I haven't had that same experience. So he has encapsulated a lot of this information into his brain. And because of that, he knows, okay, well, this isn't getting done fast enough or someone's not understanding me. So I'm just going to do it myself. And, and in some ways I found myself that I'm very similar where I'm just kind of a get it done type of person where I hate explaining myself. Um, I'm not, I don't think I'm a very good teacher because for me, it's like, if something's really clear, I don't know how to explain it on a lower level of someone who has no idea what they're looking at. Hmm. So I struggle with that. And I know that. Um, so he and I are similar in that way, which is, is, is definitely a weakness. It's not a good thing, you know, cause we're both like, All right, you know, I'm just going to do this myself because you know, I don't feel like explaining this to somebody, you know, I don't feel like trying to teach someone. I don't feel like waiting for someone to get around to it or, Hey, someone did this really wrong. The first time I asked them to do it instead of saying, all right, well, let's take a step back and try to teach them again. I'm just going to do it myself. So this is, this is kind of spiraled into a tangent, but the, the biggest problem we face is that structure of um, having all of the right people in the right seats, each person knowing what they're responsible for, and then a, a system that holds people accountable for what they're responsible for. Hmm. Yeah, the, the whole system setup of, okay, we have a business, we have a, a way that we're 
creating revenue, whatever that is, there, there's that piece. Right. And then there's like, there's a million different ways that we can do that. Mm-hmm. And some are more efficient than others. Right. Some are not efficient at all. Like it'd be extremely hard for one person to go to all those clients, make all the stuff and mm-hmm. install all the, it's impossible. Right. So, but you're right. I think, I think you're right there when you're saying, you know, there's that smaller end of the business where things aren't, there, there's really no structure, mm-hmm. but you might not necessarily have to have structure because it's, it's small enough. It's close enough knit where you can kind of just, mm-hmm. you know, things just kind of happen right. and it, you, you can make things happen. And there's the bigger level where there is a, like a corporate structure in place where everyone has a very designated role. Mm-hmm. They're doing something very specific. Right. And they can make that work. But in, the, in that middle, it, that, 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 that motion from one to the other, or even if you're going to stay in the middle, you still have to have that, some, some structure in place because you are much larger. Mm-hmm. And it is a hard switch because I see that all the time. And even in other people's businesses are like, well, I need to hire someone to do this. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know if I can take the time to, <laughs> to take the time to, that it takes to train somebody to do that job. Right. Like maybe it's just better that I just do it myself, save myself the training time. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like that's like a short-term mentality. It's like, right. I can't do this forever, right. but I, I don't, I don't want to do it right now. So, so when, and it's not, I think sometimes there's a, a little bit of a biting of the bullet that has to happen at some point where you're like, Hey, mm-hmm. listen, I'm going to have to take a step back a little bit mm-hmm. so that I can continue with that, that steady growth going forward. Absolutely. And it's, it's about finding, it's also about finding the right person, the right complementary personality because oftentimes people who start businesses or you know inherit a business that that they've been heavily involved in or um, you know in our case but you see uh, someone who starts a business usually possesses some sort of skill or some sort of passion and they have a lot of knowledge behind that typically it's someone who's probably pretty creative right and and they and they're extremely passionate about their product or their service, but they're not passionate about creating structure, mm. right? So that those are two different things. Like for my dad, it is painful. It's painful. Like he hates anything that, that has to do with that type of work. And he said it, he's like, I've tried, you know, there are particular processes that he's always done that he shouldn't do but he does because he, he, it's one of those things that has, it's a process that's kind of lacked structure, you know, building on that or, you know, using that word again, but that has kind of required some abstract thought and which, which takes time. Right. And he doesn't have it documented on how to do it. So he just ends up doing it himself, you know? So recently he kind of took a step, out of his comfort zone and started documenting some of that process. And, you know, I came into his office and he's like, I literally hate this. I hate doing this. He's like, and, and it takes me so long because I hate it. Mm. And it's, it's a chore to get me to want to do this. And I lose interest. So I always fall away from it. And I found the same thing to myself. Like I get, I understand the need for it. Right. It's almost like, I wish I had somebody who I could open their head, stick my brain in them and mm. say, okay, now, all that, all that stuff you're thinking about, write, start writing it down. This is a new business idea, I think. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Someone out there has that idea, man. Uh, 
I'm willing to pay, but you know, I, but that's kind of what I wish because I understand the need and I understand the importance, you know, of having, having that, that structure, having those, you know, a procedure for something, even if it's just an outline of something written down or something that's repeatable, something that someone can understand, you know, being able to then hold someone accountable to that. Cause oftentimes if you don't even have it written down or you, nobody really understands it, how can you hold someone accountable for it? If you just said someone tell someone to do something, it's like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. Right, well, I showed you. Well, I don't remember. And then you just, just like, all right, fine. Then I'm I have to get it done. So I need to do it. You can't really hold someone accountable for that. But when when it is kind of more concrete, when it is, okay, this is how this gets done. And I can give it to somebody else to and it's in and it's in a form where someone else can understand this then I can now hold someone accountable and say, okay, I, I've, I've documented this, I've taught, I've kind of handed this over, you know, and that's kind of where we've struggled a lot now is as we grow, you know, as you, as you have that modest growth year in and year out, you know, we're, we've, we've, we've gotten more customers, we're doing more, um, we're doing more business. We have a lot more going on than we did. It, it becomes too hard to manage all of that, you know, your business problem, and then all of the other stuff where people don't know who's responsible for what. Right. People don't know, um, you know, if someone's going to hold them accountable or not. It's just, it's, you have to manage all of the, like the, the business problem and all the people. Right. And yeah. trying to like, we're really good at, you know, we're, we're really good at, you know, servicing our customers. Um, and we've gotten very good at manufacturing. We're not experts. Um, we've, we've learned a lot and we do things, we do some things pretty well. We do some other things, not so well, but we're learning, but in those ways, you know, we can figure those problems out. It's like, crap, how are we going to make this? Or how are we going to hit that date? Or how are we going to, um, Here's something we've never made before. How are we going to do it? We can figure that out all day long. And so it's almost like that's almost like a fun problem to solve. You know what I mean? That's why you got into it. You obviously like your dad either in was taught by his father. Like so there's something about this that he likes, and I see this potential here, and I like working towards that. But much to what you you said is there are certain things people like, and that phrase of loving what you do. Mm-hmm. Granted, not everything's going to be peachy. There's going to be things that you don't Absolutely. like sometimes. But at the same time, there's something to be said for that generally where I'm at and generally the work that I'm doing, mm-hmm. I can see where I can get to a point where I really like this, right? Whether there's things that you're delegating um, at some point in the future, but I, and I tell you that's, that's what should happen is you take the parts that you do like and you do them and then you delegate the stuff that you don't like. Because whatever you're at, there's going to be something you don't like about your job. Absolutely. Most likely, maybe it is a very, very, very small selection where everything's fine. But mm-hmm. um, talk about that a little bit. Talk about just in general that as that applies to your business and, and you specifically. So um, just loving and um, really appreciating the work that you do and maybe just why you love it. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's probably some things that you are like, I can't see myself ever doing that. Mm-hmm. And I know, because I know these things about myself, this I can see, and then why that is. Right. Um, I 
I'm definitely more of a creative type. I'm not like, I'm not an artist or anything of that nature, but I do. I love making things. I love doing things with my hands. I love, you know, kind of seeing an idea come to life, so to speak. And and what we do, uh, you know, you get to see something start out as, you know, just a thought or just an idea. Um, and then you get to see it come down a manufacturing line and get assembled and, you know, it solves a problem for a customer. And that's, I absolutely love that. You know, we, a lot of the stuff we do is kind of run of the mill, but there are some projects and things we get involved in where it requires a lot of thought and it requires some you know, research and development. And, um, you know, we just did, we don't typically do it, but we did a, a dental office. And uh, a lot of times that's like custom millwork type stuff. And that's not really what we get involved with, but a, a customer of ours uh, who does a lot of apartments is doing the work for this office and said, hey, you know, we have all these cabinets we need. This is something you'd be interested in. And, and I looked at it, I was like, man, this is cool. Cause you know, <laughs> if we could figure this out, this would be really great. Um, it's also a way to further leverage and kind of go a new direction right. from just, okay, now we just do multi uh, family unit apartments. Right. Now we can do, okay, now we have office spaces that we're outfitting. Right. And, and it tells us, it definitely tells that story of look at, you know, see our capability. And, and so for me, I love that because then it's okay. I'm looking at their drawings. I'm looking at their, you know, I went on site, get to see what they're actually have in the space. It's like, okay, we can't do that, but how are we going to solve that problem? How are we going to be able to give the customer what they need and what they want, um, you know, within our capability. And so trying to think through that, I love, I absolutely love that. Um, and, and anything kind of related to that, um, my, my primary role right now is um, I'm in estivation. So, um, which I don't, I don't necessarily love, but it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working on all of the proposals for, you know, new construction, you know, large scale, like renovation type projects. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking at blueprints most of my day, you know, I'm diving into scope and trying to understand what they need, what the customer needs, um, and breaking it down to, you know, obviously just put together some sort of proposal, but uh, a lot of that comes with, you know, some problem solving as well, you know, okay, I've never seen that before. I have to figure that out. I don't know what that material is. So I have to look at that. I have to figure that out. Um, so it definitely has some, some components that, that I really enjoy. It's kind of like a puzzle, just finding the right information, being able to find the right information and knowing how to apply it. Um, so uh, there are some, some of that that I like, but I really like, I just really love making stuff and, and seeing the finished product, hmm. you know, and, and exploring what we can do with our product. So we've, we've discovered some things recently, probably within the last year or so that just, make you know like it's crazy like it makes yeah. you know all the all the the wheels start turning in my head so um i, I can't get too technical i guess just because it's, it's hard to explain um but uh probably about a year and a half ago we purchased a lamination machine so in years prior we were 
we were purchasing, you know, all of our own finished material. So finished boards, typically, you know, most standard in like a four by eight sheet, you know, with already a finished layer on it. Mm -hmm. Um, that proved problematic because certain, you know, with materials you have to buy in certain quantity. So you have to buy typically buy like the truckload, you know, and if you don't need a truckload, you only need half a truckload or you need a quarter of a truckload, you end up with a whole lot more material than you actually need. So then your warehouse fills up with a lot of useless material that you can't really use. So we invested uh, heavily into a lamination line. So now we just buy raw material, raw boards, and we're laminating it with different colors, materials, all kinds of things that give us a whole lot of flexibility. And, you know, we can kind of do a whole lot of different things now that we couldn't do before. Um, like a lot of the, a lot of the materials that we use are bendable and foldable. So mm -hmm. we, we have CNC machines where we're, you know, routing V groups and being able to miter fold different materials into all kinds of different shapes um, and, and make some really, really cool new products. So we're not even, it's all, you know, cabinetry, like casework related, but things like movable islands, you know, we can miter fold legs and make like a square leg with our material that <laughs> in the past we could never do. Um, floating shelves, all kinds of different products that are just really, really cool. And um, getting to explore those things like new machines, new equipment, new capabilities, being exposed to all that different, uh, all that different information. Um, you know, like part of my job, I always get to go to trade shows, which kind of have, hasn't happened with, you know, all the nonsense going on last couple of years. Trade shows are fun. They're, they're the best. And I miss them so much. You learn, you learn so much. I'm walking around. I, I, some of the trade shows I've been to have just been absolutely mind blowing. And you get to see a lot of cool stuff that, you know, that's why I said it kind of fuels that creative fire within me. You know, I didn't want to go on too much of a tangent, but I remember I went to uh, a trade show in Germany, actually, in 2017. Nice. That was... Speaking of business leverage wild. and also, you know, beverage over there, man, man. <laughs> they know their beer. <laughs> Although it's funny, you know, I talked to some of the... Um, we, we've purchased a German software, which I'm heavily involved in as well for our engineering of the engineering of our product as well as design well, they're known for that german engineering yeah well they're um yeah so it's it's a really great program we've been working on it for a long time but you know they've come over to help us and train us and i wow yeah but while they were here it's funny because i was talking to them about beer and and said oh so when you come to America, do you like American beer? It's just not, you know, they're like, Oh, we'd love American beer. <laughs> like, that's funny. Cause you know, it's, I think, I think Europe's starting to, you know, Americanize their beer a little bit, but while we were over there, you know, man, oh man, that's, that stuff is good. Cause they, they're, you know, by the book, they're producing it, you know, super clean. The, the, the Reinskabat, the, the German yeah. purity laws, man. It's, but it's, but it makes good beer. It is, man. I, I, um, I was actually, in a, a beer store the other day and i saw on the shelf there was a japanese beer a japanese mm -hmm. ipa wow so it's, it's just weird to see but it actually it was a new england style ipa and it's just yeah. so weird to see yeah a japanese can <laughs> that says new england style american IPA. you know what i mean it's, it's, it's just it's bizarre it is pretty crazy that it's just kind of spread all over the world um because because I'm inspired by their beer, but they seem to be inspired by ours. So, you know, it's, it's I guess that's funny. good, man. Mutual, um, yeah, 
inspiration. But kind of getting back to it, I went to that trade show and, you know, it really just opens, it kind of opens my eyes up to, you know, all the capabilities out there. And, you know, like we had uh, the machine company that we buy most of our machines from, they had a booth there worth $3 million. We're talking about big money at these things. Like they had a whole factory set up hmm. completely automated with almost virtually no people. They said in their setup, you'd need people there for about, uh, I think it was eight hours. Maybe not, no, not in an eight hour shift. You'd need them there for like two hours or something like that. And just moving pallets. It was crazy. And the amount of parts. And, and that was for, for what manufacturing of, uh, well, ca cabinet parts, cabinet parts. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it excludes the, obviously the assembly of them, but it's just the production of cabinet parts from, you know, cutting the panel to, you know, machining and edge banding and all that. Yeah. I mean, it makes for an interesting conversation about, you know, um, we talk about all these problems with, you know, um, the back end problems such as, mm -hmm. oh, I have the, I have to deal with the structure of the business X, Y, right. and Z, but it's like, that's a whole nother slew of problems. You have these machines that right. can do this. They're doing the job of how many people mm -hmm. I'm interested to see what that looks like going forward for businesses and how granted you're saying the, the machinery is like a $3 million setup, but you know how that can impact some the small business market and right. what's available there. I, I, don't, I don't know, but it's interesting to kind of think about. Well, yeah. I mean, the automation is still really expensive and it's, in some cases, it's it's one of those things. It's like it looks really flashy and really attractive, and and in many cases it is, you know, because for most manufacturers, anybody who manufactures out there knows it's really hard to find good operators, you know, really good machine operators, and, and assemblers, whatever it is, because it takes technical skill, and and it definitely takes someone who who really cares about their job. Cause if you have someone running a machine and we've had this happen, if you have someone running a machine who doesn't care, they can do some serious damage to a really expensive machine. Mm. And, and we've had that happen, you know, both by accident and on purpose. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, the automation I think is going to continue to progress. Uh, I think people are going to invest more heavily into it especially, you know, in the, now obviously there are some industries that are hev heavily automated. Um, I think the cabinet industry isn't heavily automated. Um, I still, still think there's a lot of manual process. And it's funny because we've had a lot of people come through our shop and say, gosh, I can't, I can't believe how much automation you have. And I'm sitting there thinking, <laughs> How much automation we don't have. <laughs> right. Maybe it's just what I've been exposed to, um, you know, because we still have operators at every single machine um, and, and still a whole lot of human involvement, which isn't a bad thing. But as I said, it's just definitely a challenge to find, you know, a common problem with, with every company is finding the right people and getting them in the right seats. Do you, do you think, do you think automation, granted, this is going to be kind of a, a generalization here, but do you think automation will make people less happy? Because we've talked about, you know, as far as people, people like solving problems. That's why we have businesses to begin with. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the further they are removed from solving those problems, mm -hmm. if that's what gives them the fulfillment is, is the necessary conclusion from that, that 
they're not as happy. And like, even like you said, like you enjoy watching something come to life. Like mm-hmm. I, I made this thing from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like making a beer. Like when I brew, we still got to brew together. We're still trying to get that, make that to happen. Absolutely. But like, it's like, it's, it's one thing when you have, okay, I got a, I got a pile of grain, some hops, I got some yeast and, I, and my water. It's like at the end, I went from this and now I have this final product mm-hmm. that I enjoy. I see people around me enjoying it. It's, it's a whole thing that is deeply fulfilling. But if like, if there is some automated machine, and I, I've seen some already on the market where basically it does it itself, mm-hmm. it seems somewhat less fulfilling. So right. what's your, what are your thoughts on that? The proximity to the, the, the process of making something, mm-hmm. does that necessitate happiness? I think it definitely has a component. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a slippery slope. So I think any business owner or you know, someone making executive decisions for their business looks at, looks at, um, they look at automation and they see what it can do for their business and they're not wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but if, if I'm trying to, if like I remove myself purely from, you know, the, the business thinking, I see it as a slippery slope where it requires, it then requires less of human beings, hmm. right? So the more you automate, the less you're, the less you um, have to rely on a person. And now you have people who no longer need to learn something, right? The more you automate, it's like the more, there is out there that people don't have to learn. And I think that's dangerous. Yeah. This is an interesting tangent because it's, it's one that I think people associate automation with, with progress. Mm -hmm. And to a degree that's true. Yeah. But it's like, what kind of progress is that at the end of the day, people aren't as fulfilled, right? They aren't as happy. Mm -hmm. I don't know is, is it doesn't seem like progress. <laughs> no, I mean, in some ways maybe in, but it's what, how do you measure progress? And that's right. a more deeply philosophical question. But. Yeah. And if we're talking about like progress as, or at least maybe for the purpose of this conversation that when, what, when, what from our own anecdotal experience right. where we find fulfillment mm-hmm. is in doing this thing and is automation grant i try to stay away from blanket statements but is it is it pushing more towards the idea of okay how can we be more efficient at making money mm-hmm. which again is a good thing it's not bad at all mm-hmm. but are we cutting ourselves off at the knees mm-hmm. by doing this in fulfilling ourselves in in all ways in a very well-rounded way both right personal lives, professional lives, mm-hmm. how we're fulfilled. Right. Um, because I think people, again, in business, they went, okay, here's the problem. How do we solve this efficiently? How do I solve this most efficiently and also make the most money? There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But at the same time, there may be something wrong with that if it doesn't lead to fulfillment for you. Right. You know, progress implies a standard. You know, and, and what's that standard? So to simply say progress is like, well, what are you progressing towards? Mm. Um, 
and and to me if it's just if it's solely money you know it, it's so cliche to say you know the money can't buy you happiness or it's not the source of happiness but it ultimately it's true you know whether we and and so many of us don't we say that we we say we know it but we don't seem to believe it um but you know it's what what is what are you progressing towards and i think you know i think like in in the case of automation i think it provides a lot of opportunity but like i said it removes you know because when you think on it on a more grand scale it's like how much how much less do people need to be involved and then there's this and then it's almost like a crutch mm-hmm. where okay i have all this automation because i can't find good people so instead of teaching people how to do things well i'm just going to I'm just going to, you know, fill my shop or, you know, process with things that are automated so that I no longer need people. So it's kind of weird. It's like, Mm. I, I can't find good people. Um, and we're not teaching good people because, you know, like we were talking about before all this with, you know, the whole college thing, people aren't, you know, learning trades and skills. Um, you know, I'm not going to go out and teach people. I'm just going to replace them with automation. So now there's no incentive to learn, right? Because there's a machine now that does it for them. So now you've removed the incentive for anybody to learn a particular skill. Um, and then it's what, now where does that person find some sort of fulfillment? And it just, it's kind of, it, it you know, I hesitate to say, but it almost kind of leans to learn, uh, leans towards like laziness. It's like, now people don't have to learn things. They don't have to, um, you know, try to try to learn a process. It's just, oh, a machine does it. And I think it's funny, um, you know, when you go to most a lot of stores now and they have the self checkout, and a lot of people like like that and think it's convenient. I think it's ironic because it's like, well, you're doing something that they would have paid an employee to do, and you're doing it for free. Mm-hmm. But and 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 a lot of times it's that fuel for convenience. It's that fuel for efficiency. You know that that we lean towards uh, those solutions. But I, I I like what you said. It kind of almost seems to kneecap us in the long run. Where mm-hmm. now you have a whole lot of people that in 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 many ways may not even be needed anymore. This is in like a workforce. So let's talk about the idea of vision and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is the vision of um, multi-house, multi-housing? What would you say is is what you guys strive for in the next five years and then just say no time limit going forward? What's your vision for how you want the business to progress? Mm-hmm. Um, let's start there. So, so it's a tough question. It, it's a simple it question, but it's a tough one. Yeah. Um, no, the, our vision, our goal, uh, something that my dad and I have talked about extensively is creating the perfect apartment or more broadly, most perfect living space. Mm-hmm. Um, we deal with, a lot of really big companies that are really good at buying land, really good at making a pretty looking building. They have a lot of money, 
know, they have a lot of capital. They have the, the ability to do this type of work, but they think about it. They think about their projects from the outside in, right? Where, where is it located? Well, that's really important, right? But what does the building look like? And then they design these buildings and then they work their way in to the units. And to me, it's like, well, curb appeal gets you so far. As someone who's living in that unit every single day, every single day, right? How does it, how does the, in, how does the unit affect that person? The layout, the structure, where everything is, um, the colors, the look, the feel, the light, natural light versus, you know, man-made all of those things, how are they weighed into the development of a unit? And not only that, it's how does it weigh into the whole site and how does, how does someone, or how does it, like, how does it paint the whole picture? You know, cause a lot of these jobs were look, like I look at, I look at blueprints all day long and I see these things where it's just, look at a set of prints you know, uh, 300 unit apartment complex. And in that apartment complex, they have 60 different layouts. And to, to someone who doesn't know, that's a lot. And it's a lot of variation and it's a lot of unnecessary variation. I mean, just go through the thought, like go through it in your head of the steps of, okay, well, it's a lot of different variation for all of the people involved in building this building, all the different trades, you know, nothing is, it's really hard to be repeatable. When someone goes into a unit or when they're working on the building, it takes so much longer because there's just nobody knows what they could be walking into. It's not standard, right? So there's a lot of components, but we want, we want to be able to create, you know, the ideal living space, ideal apartment. And someday you know, be able to create that ourselves. That's awesome. That's a really, that's awesome. I think it's cool that you guys have thought about that. Mm -hmm. You've kind of thought about it enough to formulate an idea mm -hmm. on it. And I think a lot of businesses get so sucked into either the day-to-day, -day, mm -hmm. like, like we're solving our main problem, but we have all these internal business problems we have to solve on a daily basis mm -hmm. that they lack some of that vision or they lack the time to put effort into the vision, which right. ultimately informs what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So mm -hmm. they're both are really important. Right. And I find some of that struggle as well is you're, you're so focused on, okay, my business is doing well in these areas, mm -hmm. but in order to redefine how that's being done, mm -hmm. I have to take time away to right. think about what am I actually doing here? Am I, mm -hmm. is my ship going in the right direction? Do I need to change course? Right. It's, it's very important stuff, but that's awesome. I, I think that at the end of the day, that's kind of what it should be. It shouldn't be like, Oh, what's your vision? Oh, my vision is to be like this huge company to no. I think it has to be something more um, emotionally based. This is what we're trying to do. We want to do this for people. It's a, right. it's a, a business. We're solving this problem that we see. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, I think that, ultimately makes the business more fulfilling when you have um, something um, tangible to kind of um, work towards, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And you have to, like, 
you have to be able to tell a story and not just a story like full of buzzwords on your website, right? It has to be a meaningful story that shows the thought that goes into what it is you're trying to do. And for us, you know, that vision of being able, being able to create, you know, the, the ideal apartment or the ideal living space, you know, there's a story behind that for us. And it's based on our experience. Like we're, we're currently, um, we're currently building out our showroom space in our, Mm. um, in our facility, you know, our, our facility is a total of 106,000 square feet. Um, I, I'm blanking on the size of our showroom, but it's a pretty sizable showroom. You know, it's big enough where we have built a full studio apartment Hmm. and it's not, we didn't just do that to say, Hey, we have an apartment in here. Come look at, you know, the cabinets we throw on the wall. You know, this was a labored process. Does anyone live there currently? (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, well, uh, we've, we've, uh, I was convinced I was going to find our VP of sales, you know, uh, yeah. sitting, you know, <laughs> setting up camp down there. Cause he's, he's there quite a bit. Um, we, we put locks on the door. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, it, we, it was a labored process of thinking out, okay, we're not just going to slap up four walls and throw some crap on the wall and say, okay, here, you know, here's our product. Cool. Anybody can do that. Um, you know, we thought about, uh, if we were, and, and we've had customers ask us this, we've had some bigger customers ask us this, and we're talking about, you know, agility, they haven't been able to shift their model or how they think about things because of the size of the company. But they've asked us say, Hey, if you were us, what would you do? Hmm. We've had, you know, some, some pretty big customers ask us that. And initially it was like, Huh. never thought of that, but we can thank them because, you know, it kind of provided us with a vision, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, if we were, you know, we're, we're not just supplying someone cabinets. We're not just saying, okay, here's some cabinets, throw them on the wall. Someone's eventually going to live there. They're going to put their dishes away. They're going to cook in there. They could have Thanksgiving dinner in there with their family. They could, you know, they're, they're going to live in that space. And so for us, it was, well, gee, you know, what, what would we do, you know, with all the experience that we have, you know, dealing with, you know, different customers, different projects, different, all sorts of different things and products, you know, it really got the juices flowing. Okay. How, how would we do this if we, we were doing this, which then sparked, Hey, we could probably do this. And this is something we, we could do and we kind of want to do because we have, you know, we want to start from the inside and work our way out, you know, focus on where that person is going to be that person that ultimately pays the bills. Cause yes, you have to be focused on the bottom line. You have to be focused on success and money and all of that. But if you don't have a bigger purpose and a bigger why an answer to why, yeah, I just don't see the point. Hmm. So it seems like it's a very admirable goal mm-hmm. um is there a, are you currently partnering with people that i guess fill in the gaps that can make that vision more complete so i guess what i mean by that is you have this vision for an apartment mm-hmm. and the feel of how someone feels when living there mm-hmm. 
Um, I don't know how far you're going as far as like, oh, are you also doing is like, I'm guessing you're not also doing like design work for um, what should be hanging on the walls and things right. of that nature. Yeah. But it have, is that been in conversation as, okay, here's perhaps a way we can help bring that vision to fulfillment by working with people strategically who can enhance mm-hmm. um, the feel that we're going for. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say we've, we've, uh, we've gotten too deep into it. I mean, this is, this is a relatively new kind of, uh, epiphany, so to speak of, mm. you know, how the business can continue to evolve. Um, we have, we've done, you know, we've done a lot of research into, you know, different materials, different colors, different layouts, um, how things yield, you know, so we're, we're talking like the whole process. So how, how does, how does, how do certain materials yield out so that you get the most out of the material and the most out of the space as well, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a cost effective and B, you know, also a really functional place to live. So we've done some of those kind of exercises of trying to work it out. Um, I would say we're still pretty early on in, in the whole process of, you know, how, how we could, you know, possibly um, continue to develop the idea. Gotcha. Um, so I want to go dive into to you personally. So mm-hmm. we talked about vision and stuff and goal setting and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, are there any rituals or habits that you have that, you know, you find make a drastic impact in your life and your performance in, in the business? Like, okay, I need, I know I need time to think about my business and to work on the business, not just working in it. Mm-hmm. Um, have you found things that are uh, repeatable or things that you do that help in that, in that cause? Hmm. Honestly, I've done a lot of reading. Hmm. Um, as far as rituals go, hmm, I, don't, I don't think so. Honestly, I've, I've kind of expressed this to other people that I'm personally, like currently right now, I'm definitely in a, in a, in a tough spot as far as, you know, uh, business goes, I just kind of being honest. I don't want to make anything up and mm, pretend sure. like I figured something out. You know, I've, um, you know, with everything going on in the world, kind of stress. And like I said, that, that painful point that we're in of growth and trying to work things out from structural component, you know, I've kind of been caught in the middle of that where I feel like I'm working more on just what I have to do and less on the business. So, you know, I don't, I haven't discovered a whole lot. Um, maybe, I, maybe then we'll think hypothetically uh, things yeah. that, you know, I think this would serve me well mm-hmm. when I do have that, you know, a little bit of space to, to, um, think about some of this stuff. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's, it's trying to defer, uh, like, I guess one thing I, I, I try to do and it's, it's more loosely, uh, assembled, not really a formal practice, but just diversifying my day, um, and what I've started doing, I guess, more recently is, okay, in the morning, you know, when things are typically a little bit more crazy and hectic, um, I'm going to work on, um, I'm going to work on some of the things that, that I can get distracted doing because oftentimes I get most distracted in the morning with requests, questions, you know, things that 
kind of divert my my daily uh, tasks or something that kind of moves up on the triage board, so to speak. So I tend to try to focus on those types of tasks in the morning. And then later in the day, as things quiet down, that's when I focus on the more uh, thought-provoking kind of mental energy type tasks, more creative thinking, more focused thinking. Um, that's one thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly, you know, I'm a pretty spiritual person. So I start my day with prayer. Um, and I think that that kind of helps me get in the right headspace. And for me, it kind of helps answer some of the questions of why, you know, bringing me, you know, uh, into the right headspace and, and kind of providing me with more purpose and, and, you know, a level head going into the day. And I definitely think it's helped me with some of the, the tougher, more stressful days. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing crazy right now. Cool. Um, I want to do a couple uh, questions here. They're, these are more like quick hitters, just like things that yeah, off the cuff, you know, okay. make sense to you or uh, what you've been thinking about recently. Yep. Um, so it, this could be anything. It doesn't have to pertain to our conversation. Kind of just be like, I just want to get a look inside, inside your mind. So what's the coolest thing that you've seen lately? Could be anything. Oh boy. Coolest thing that I have seen lately. Either innovatively or, you know, and anything it could be like a, like I saw a video the other day mm -hmm. of a, an octopus <laughs> and it, it, uh, the way that it would camouflage and the way that they move, it's, this is mm -hmm. incredible. And I was like, that is, that's remarkable. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> and that's kind of unrelated, but yeah. you know, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be related. I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, what, what gets you going as far as, um, just random randomness. Okay. Um, all right. So I guess, so last, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of YouTube. Um, and I can kind of get lost down the rabbit hole. I mean, as we all do. Yeah. But I mean, I like watching people make stuff. I, I just like, I, I just think it's fascinating. Um, and, and oftentimes I get jazzed up thinking, Oh, I could do that. And then <laughs> like, but with what time? <laughs> it's, time. it's like, and, and these are highly skilled people. So it's like, I could, you know, the amount of time they dedicate to their crafts is, is incredible. But I right. saw, um, so yeah, just last night I saw some, I watched a video a guy was making, uh, knives, like a knife, a knife maker. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I'm not an expert, so I, I don't want to sound silly or anything, but he was making, um, uh, like a short sword type knife out of Damascus steel and copper. And I'm not too familiar with any of like, I know what copper is and like steel is or anything, but Damascus steel is like, Oh, what is that? So, you know, I'm watching this and just the process by which he made it and like all of the different steps and, you know, the finished product was absolutely stunning. Like it's really cool. Or like this metal is like, it looks like it has all these waves and like ripples in it. Huh. Really, really cool stuff. Like, and it's just amazing that people possess a skill like that. And, and it's one of those things I admire about anybody who does that. Um, the amount of patience hmm. because for me i'm a very impatient person so sometimes when something doesn't come out the way i want it to right away it's like ah, 
damn it, like I want to give up. Or it's like, ah, this is frustrating me. Mm. Some of those people, it's been, it takes an incredible amount of patience. So I give them a lot of credit. Um, what other, you know, transformational changes are you looking to make in the next 90 days? So I try to, for whoever's listening, make this actionable. And so it's like for your right. business right self yep. um, right now, if you were like, if I could make these changes in the next 90 days, that would be extremely beneficial to either me or, or the business. Mm-hmm. What are some of those things? Okay. So I just actually read a book, um, how to take smart notes, um, because I'm terrible at taking notes. And I think a lot of people are, um, but people are also bad at taking notes and then not acting on them later. (laughs) This is true because there isn't, they don't have a mechanism to act on them later. Back to the structure, (laughs) back to the structure, but it's structuring yourself too. And so the book gave me a lot of, you know, clear insight into how I could possibly do that. And I'm trying to enact some of that in my life. And, and part of it is just getting into a regular habit of writing like every day. And then, um, you know, it, it's a good book and I recommend anybody read it. Uh, who, who, what's, what's it called? Uh, how to take smart notes. I forget the, the author. I got to find it. But um, if, if you look up how to take smart notes on Amazon, mm-hmm. you'd find it. I mean, it it comes from a perspective of, you know, someone like nonfiction writers, you know, people publishing research papers, but it definitely has a lot of insight in how people learn and just the value of writing in general. And I had had a lot of really great takeaways from it. And I'm trying to institute that in my daily life now, Um, not even from a business perspective, but like I said, I enjoy reading and I enjoy reading a wide variety of topics. Um, And sometimes I've, I've struggled with you know, trying to retain some of that information. So um, trying to get better about writing so that maybe I can not write to be published, but just write to, to know, to learn better, to learn better and to, you know, express my thoughts in a, in a clear and concise way. Cool. Um, and then I think I know this answer, but um, <laughs> what is, what is your favorite beverage? Oh boy. That's a tough one actually. Really? Yeah. Um, I really only drink three things for the most part. Let me guess. Let me guess. Water. Yep. Beer. Yep. Coffee. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I, and I'm guessing it's not water. So it's probably either. No, it's water. It is water. (laughs) So so I drink a lot of water all day. Um, And, uh, and coffee and, and beer. I don't drink beer every day, but you know, water and coffee I drink every day. Uh, I don't drink a whole lot else. I've kind of like cut out soda and all that basically mm. entirely because yeah. for me, it's like, uh, I'd rather, I'd rather have a beer than a soda. Me too. So the, the superior carbonated beverage. It, absolutely. <laughs> Hands down. Um, well, let's, I mean, let's open that up a little bit because, yeah. um, we, we both brewed for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you, are you, are you still on, on the grain father? Is that the, I am. Yeah. So the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the system of choice. Yeah. Um, what have you brewed recently? And you know what? I haven't. And that's, oh, okay. it's been sad. Well, it just means that we have to, you know, do it sooner than later. Yeah. We have to, yeah. Have to make that happen. Um, yeah, I haven't, unfortunately I haven't brewed in a while. Um, it's just a timing thing. So my wife works on a lot of weekends. Right. So I'm at home with the, uh, the kids. Um, so that's typically the time I would do it, but I am, you know, I am itching to do it mm. very soon. And, uh, my my brother's getting married in uh, April, so I'm 
I think my dad and I are planning to try to get something done. For nice. that. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's always good, man. I, um, it's, it's another example of, you know, like we said, said earlier, taking something and yeah. making a final product out of it. I, I don't know yeah. what it is. And I, I think I want to think on that more and I, I've given a lot of thought already, but, um, there's something about tangibility and then right. seeing the, um, someone enjoying it, whether that's a painting, whether that's a, a, a song, whether that's whatever it is. Right. But I mean, you're adding, you know, you're, um, you, you immediately see the fruits of your labor. And I think in a more way more philosophical view, it's like you're adding, you're adding in some way, you're adding beauty to the world. You know, you're adding, you know, a, a very tasteful product, you know, product, so to speak, but something that someone's enjoying and, and it's, and it's visible that they're enjoying it. And it's just, it's just so cool to see that. Like the first time I made beer, it was like, you know, you, you, for someone who has no kind of concept of it or understanding of the process, it's almost like this mythical product, you know, it's right. like, like, how the heck do they do that? And then you learn it, you do it. You're like, wow, yeah, I did that. <laughs> and not only did I do it, but it tastes pretty good. I mean, it's maybe it's right. not the best, but man, that's, that's awesome. So here's a follow-up. I don't, I, I don't know if I've ever asked you this. I think, I feel like I would have, but um, what is your favorite beer? Oh boy. It's, I, I know it's, it's a little question, but I mean, even rattle off a couple, if you're like a between. Okay. Uh, so one of my go-tos is dogfish head 60 minute classic. It's a classic. And, and that's my thing. Like, uh, you know, like the, like the fat tire we enjoyed. I, I like that one. Um, gosh, they've, they've changed their label quite a few times. No, I, the, I know. You see the new one? No, it, it looks like a, um, like, a. <laughs> I don't know, like a, a cross between a animated mm-hmm. industrial size fermenter, yeah, crossed with like a clock and like a witch doctor. It's bizarre. Um, I'll see if I can pull it up because it's actually. Are they going with the like the dogfish head type style of like it's a little bizarre, but I, I don't. And it works for them. Let me see if I can find the newest one. It sounds kind of like steampunky. Hope it, it you, honestly, it's exactly that's a great word here. See if I can uh turn that around for you without messing things up. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. You get that vibe from me, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, and if you scroll down here, it's like the, it's like the, the conical bottom of like a fermenter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that is kind of, it's kind of interesting. Steampunk's a really good, a good way to describe that, though. Um, yeah, yeah but I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the 60 minute. I like the fat tire. I like, um, oh, this is a 90 minute. I'm sorry, but yes, this is 90 well, minute. Yeah. Um, I like, um, Allagash white. Mm. I'm a big fan of the Belgians. Um, but ultimately I like, I just like trying a lot of different stuff. You know, I like always going to the, you know, for me, it's always exciting going to a liquor store and buying something new mm. and just, you know, just getting to experience something new. I, I do think there's a, there's a slippery slope in that where, I think some of the beer industry is chasing a lot of novelty, you know, and, and throwing, throwing the tradition out the window. Not just tradition. It's just some like stuff that just doesn't stick. And I think they know it's not going to stick. It's just kind of to get someone's attention. Mm. It's to make that quick sale, which, you know, I I think it can have its place. You know, I've had beers where I'm like, yeah, I would never buy a six pack of that, Mm. you know? Okay. It was all right, but I wouldn't buy a six pack of that. The um, the phrase I use a lot is 
<laughs> me and my fiance say this is you try a beer and it's like, I think, I think the mark of a good beer, first of all, is if I have one, it's like, okay, yeah, I'll have another one of those. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it doesn't, 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 right. um, doesn't tire the palate. Right. You're like open to another one. The, mm-hmm. the, everything's good as far as balance. But you know, if you taste a beer and it's like, I'm, I'm good for a taster. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Right, yeah. that, that, that's like the phrase. It's like, well, maybe is, is that a great beer? I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe to some people, but I think from right. like a objective standpoint, it's not. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think for those who enjoy, you know, craft beer, because it's different, you know, that you have the guys that, you know, they drink Miller Lite. I guess, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's all they want to drink. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> right. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, <laughs> no, they, they, you know, but that's just their go-to. A lot of craft beer drinkers, they don't necessarily have a go-to, you know, and it's really easy to not have one. Cause like I said, you go to the liquor store or any surrounding liquor store and they all have a lot of different stuff. Right. And not only do they have different stuff, but they just keep coming out with different stuff. So it's really easy to never drink the same thing twice. Yeah. Right. A lot of it might taste really similar, but it's really easy to never buy the same thing again. So for me, it's, if I buy something more than once, mm. you know, if I go back and say, you know what, I ate that one again. Right. You know, and that for me, it's like, whenever I'm feeling like, I just want a really good IPA, I just get the 60 minute, yeah. you know, cause it's like, I know it's good. I know what I'm getting <laughs> and it, you can just go back to it. And yeah, I, I've had a, um, I've been on a recent, uh, Lawson's finest liquids. Um, yes. Binge man. Oh man. Yeah. That's, that's some of my favorite by yeah. far. I I've always been a fan of sip of sunshine. Yep. My brother, he has a, um, he just got a, a, a pack of triple sunshine, which yeah. again, triple IPs aren't my thing, but yeah, I, I, I like to try that. And I actually, I just, I just got a pack of, um, hopzilla. Okay. And man, that it, oh, dude, yeah. it, it hits so well. Yeah. It's perfectly balanced. Yeah. Um, you can tell that the water chemistry is dialed in. It's, yeah. it's just really, but something about that, you know what I mean? When you, you sip it and you're like, man, there's nothing, no flaws tangibly yeah. detected here. Right. It's, it's really a thing of beauty. Absolutely. Um, okay, man. Well, that's all I got. Um, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Is there anything that you want to plug as far as social media or anything like that? Not really. I mean, as a company, we're not, uh, I mean, we've dabbled with it, but we're not super involved with it right now. I mean, just based on our customer base, it's not really right. something that plays into necessarily our strengths, but, um, yeah, no, nothing really. Any last words? No, just thanks for the time. I, I always enjoy getting to talk about what I do and, you know, hopefully it was fruitful to, to anybody who, who cares to listen, really. Cool. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for listening to the show this week. If you're not a subscriber yet, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Greg Sobosinski, and you've been listening to Beverage and Leverage. As always, keep pushing forward one sip at a time. 